Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 44. If you're going to spend more money at the grocery store, um, don't spend more on pricey vegetables. Spend more on, on your protein sources. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers, and every episode features a grass farmer in their operation. I'm your host, Cal Hardage. On today's show, we have Callahan Maynard. Callahan is getting started grazing calves on 10 acres with a plan to grass finish them. Discuss the plan for this year and how that's going to look. Before we talk to Callahan, our March giveaway is continuing with another winner today. If you didn't win or haven't participated, there is time. Listen after Callahan's interview for more information. And it will be our last giveaway for March. So time's running out. Let's talk to Callahan. Callahan, we want to welcome you to the Grazing Grass Podcast. We're excited you're on here today. Well, thanks for having me. Um, definitely a newbie at all of this. So any opportunity to learn and talk about it, I'm uh, very grateful. Callahan, I'm excited for this episode because I've thought about this for a long time. And just have not um, been in contact with someone just getting started. Um, so I'm excited to have this conversation and see how it all goes. Um, but before we, we give a little bit more about that, Callahan, tell us about you and your background that led you to this point. So uh, my background, I'm, I'm a full-time chiropractor. Um, so that's my day job, um, more than just a day job probably, but, um, that's what I've trained to do. That's what I love to do. That's what I do Monday through Friday. Um, but through that, um, health has always been a passion of mine. And that's really what got me into chiropractic first and foremost, just to help people. And, uh, you know, without drugs, without surgeries, potions and lotions, just using the innate intelligence inside the body to help people heal. And through that, we've uh, you know developed a lot of programs to um, help people progress in health. And nutrition has been a big part of that. And so we're, we do uh, monthly lectures on nutrition. We do big, uh, uh, big time events where people gather and and we talk about what should we eat and how should we exercise. And um, so I've always had also on the side kind of a passion for where my food comes from. Um, so, um, as far as my, you know, deeper background, I wasn't raised on a farm. Um, I was raised, you know, very normal, went to the grocery store for everything we ate. Um, but, um, I'm just one generation removed from farm life. Um, my, my great grandparents built a house on a farm built the farm. My, my grandfather was raised on that farm and farmed. Um, but this is one of the reasons why I'm passionate about getting back into it as well is, um, I, I have multiple friends, you know, my age, I'm, I'm, I'm 35 years old and, um, you know, I've got friends that are getting together and buying land and they're wanting to raise chickens and they're wanting to have cows. And, um, and I think a lot of people feel they're, they're really far removed from, uh, that type of life. Uh, but if you look back too far in your own family, I'm sure there was 
you know, a grandfather or grandmother that, that was doing these things. So that's my story. And, you know, even my grandparents, um, they returned back to that. After they retired, they bought land and cattle and, and, and tried to return back to that. My, my grandmother was raised on a dairy farm at 61st and Sheridan in Tulsa. Um, so, um, you know, she was removed from it, then got back into it. So I'm excited to um, attempt at least to get back to that and try and start small and make some mistakes. And I know just enough to kind of get in trouble at this point, um, but I definitely need to learn more and uh, make some mistakes and, and learn some stuff the hard way. Well, the great thing is the way you learn best is by getting started. Yeah. You know, you can read a lot of books, you can listen to a lot of people, but till you get started, it doesn't all sink in. So I'm excited for your journey. Thank you. So you, you're focused on health and you're eating and you decided to raise some beef calves. Yeah. So, um, you know, we eat a lot of meat. I've got four little kids, um, ages two, four, six, and eight, and we eat a lot of eggs. We eat a lot of meat and, uh, I'm a big proponent of high quality meats. We always teach people if you're going to spend more money at the grocery store. Um, don't spend more on pricey vegetables, spend more on, on your protein sources. Um, because you're, you know, you're consuming another animal. So the way they were raised and treated and, 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 and fed and grown, um, that's going to translate directly into their tissues, which you're going to consume and turn and turn into your tissues. So, uh, it's a compounding effect quickly when it comes to protein choices. So, um, and, you know, I like to, I like to know where my stuff comes from. Um, you know, we've started, you know, raising chickens and we, and we've got our source of eggs down and it's just been fantastic. And, uh, I'd like to see where my beef comes from. And, and that's kind of what spurred me on to do this and also share with family members, share with, uh, so, you know, some of my practice members, I get asked on a, on a weekly basis, you know, where do you get your beef? Where do you get your grass fed meat? Um, and you know, it's, there are sources around, but you know, sometimes quantities limited and, and you don't really know the source. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited, even if it's just within family right now, or, you know, maybe some close friends, um, sharing that in product. And that's, that's, um, you know, I would say what is most important to me is what that end product is going to look like and taste like, um, I want to do as much right as I can, but I also want it to taste good at the end. So, um, that's where a lot of my research and, uh, I'm trying to get there as best as I can at this point. And I think you touched on a great point there. You touched on a lot, but one thing that really stuck out to me, knowing where your, your food comes from, knowing that farmer, how they're, they're raising their animals is so important. And we have, um, I think COVID's really, that's been a benefit of COVID in that we have a lot of people turning to the local farms and purchasing beef directly from farmers or purchasing animals and having them processed. And I hope that continues down that path because I think it's so important you know where your your food comes from. Absolutely. And I always tell people that's a, you know, COVID has done a lot of good for health. Um, even though it's been, it's, it, it's been a tough, tough go here the past couple of years, but in this past couple of years, it has made more people 
question how they treat themselves, um, you know, the food they eat and how they exercise, having high blood pressure and obesity and asthma and allergies and, and diabetes, it's not all it's cracked up to be anymore. They've heard over and over again that, you know, that increases your, your risk for adverse events. And people are thinking, I, I might need to make some changes now. And a lot of times that does start with your food source. And, uh, you know, and, and, and I think it's, it's getting back to the way it should be. It's getting back to, you know, people having small farms and sharing with their neighbors and, and, and getting away from these super high volume chains where everything comes from and starting to break it down more local, more, um, more people, you know, uh, versus a disconnection, uh, with the food that we're eating. I couldn't agree more. And as you start this, your research, how are you researching this to get ready? You know, um, I like podcasts obviously. So, um, I'm listening to everything I can from kind of different points of view. Uh, I am reading a few books. I was at a, I was at a feed store and there was a raising grass fed cattle book there and picked that up and read it. And, uh, you know, you, you see a lot of the same stuff over and over again. And I like to see that I see, okay, well, this is obviously a method or a tactic that's gaining some traction and has seen some success over and over again. Uh, you know, with whether that's rotational grazing and, and the way water is implemented. Um, but there's still a lot that it's hard to get a good grasp on as far as, you know, what should I do with my farm, you know, with my land? And, I, and, and that's why I'm excited to be here, because um, I think sometimes it's it, it's hard for people to connect with, you know, the rancher that's got 250 head of cattle. Um, and, and has a thousand acres. And I know that's not everybody that's on every podcast, but I've got 10 acres. I've got eight acres of pasture. And, uh, you know, my point to prove is that, you know, it can be done on a smaller scale using maybe some of these same methods, um, but scaled down and then maybe trying to, you know, replicate that on another 10 or 20 acre property. Um, cause I think the more we can, uh, make a small operation viable and doable, um, the, the more people would be willing to do it, to raise their own beef or to raise it for their family or, or you know, whether that's chicken or hogs or whatever it might be. Um, I think that's an exciting for people that maybe have never even been on a farm period or, or raised an animal to think that I can find a house in 10 acres and, and possibly start raising some of my protein choices. Um, and I think, you know, and there's not a lot of info out there on that particular model. And I would like to try and, um, you know, that's where I have a lot of questions scaling down necessarily, not scaling up so much. Oh yes. Yeah. And, um, just a little plug for our podcast. We try to bring in a, a, a gamut of guests on here from, from small acreage up to, to huge acreages because, everyone's got their starting point and it's somewhere different. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of things we talk about are repeatable, uh, but each person does it a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, before I started rotational grazing, I read about it. I heard about it. I tried one or two things. Didn't work too good. I gave up for it for a few years, but you got to keep hearing about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and one day it's like, Oh, I should do that. And then when you think about it, Oh, 
I've been hearing that for a long time. It just didn't register to me. I wasn't quite ready for that. Yeah. And I mean, and I guess I'm lucky in some sense. I, I do have some exposure to, I guess, traditional grazing. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. I did help my grandparents raise cattle and work cattle. And it was, you know, they were trying to do things uh, as best I think they knew how. And, you know, they might have a, a winter pasture and a summer pasture. Um, but, you know, they were supplementing feed heavily and, um, and it was, it was just very standard and, you know, they had good, oh, healthy, yes. healthy cattle, but, um, that's really my only exposure. And, but the whole time that was happening. And then after their passing, that same land was leased to, um, a stalker operation. And, you know, it was, you know, high density and heavy feeds, 365 as much as they could possibly eat. And, and then I saw even what the step in that direction did to the land and the ponds. And, um, and that didn't sit real, real well with me. So um, I've kind of seen what, uh, what the other side of this does. So I'm excited to as be a, as good a steward as I can. Yes. Leave the land in better shape than you found it. Yes. Now, you mentioned just a while ago, you've got 10 acres, eight acres of pasture, and you have a few calves coming any day now? Yeah, so uh, weather permitting, I'm going to try and get there uh, this Friday to pick up uh, four 12-month-old um, Aberdeen Angus steers. And why did you go with the Aberdeen Angus? You know, in my early research... Um, you know, with a small farm and like I said, four kids, I, I didn't want a large animal. Um, and I didn't want, I wanted something that would handle easy, uh, load and unload easy and, um, or, you know, nothing's going to be easy, but at least, um, something that's not wild. So just in research, I, uh, it kind of led me to that breed. And then also trying to finish these on 100% grass, um, that breed kept coming up as a possibility that could finish well on 100% grass. So I started looking around and, um, I finally did come up with a contact, somebody that's not too far away, only an hour or so away. And, and he just happened to have, um, some available. Um, so I, I tried to, and I know I wanted to start this spring, um, and, uh, so I, I just kind of made that connection and, you know, I'm not set on any breed um, whatsoever. And I know there's difference in genetics within a breed. So, um, I'm, I'm just, I'm crossing my fingers at this point. And, you know, if I do end up being happy with it, then I, you know, I'd like to maintain a connection and get that line of, of animals coming in. But if not, you know, we, we, we audible and we try something else. Right. And I think you, uh, choosing Aberdeen Angus, now, when we say Aberdeen Angus, we're talking more along the low-line Angus as opposed to the commercial Angus that's much bigger and bred to be a larger size and finish later and, and finish on grain. Uh, I think that's an excellent choice. Like you said, there's a few different breeds you can go with. Uh, they're smaller animals, so that's going to work out better. Um, when you're dealing with small acreage, it gives you the opportunity to run a few more head in that same area as opposed to running a larger animal. And then as you're thinking about grass finishing, yeah, you've got to have that steer that'll finish at uh, 18, 24 months. Uh, You're going to be shooting in there trying to finish about 19 months, I think, 
yeah, 19 or 20 months. And once again, I'm not hard set on that. I'm already, you know, you know, one of the questions I'm going to have is as we get closer to fall and I see that, you know, we're not going to be there, you know, when and how do I need to start prepping for keeping these animals over winter? Oh, yes. And grass finish is not something I've ever done. I've read about it and I plan to do it soon, but I haven't done it yet. So I'll try and point you in the right direction on that. But before we go a little bit further on that, maybe we need to figure out where you're located. Yeah, so I'm in uh, Claremore, Oklahoma, right outside Tulsa. Yeah, just down the road from me. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, when we talk about Claremore, we're talking about last frost around the first week in April, first frost about the first week in November. Winters aren't too tough, which is always great now. We've got a cold spell coming in this week that's going to be a little colder yeah. than I like. Um, but pretty good climate. Yeah, it's it's very up and down. Yeah. And about 40 inches of rain, I think, yes. each year. So, yeah, it's you know wetter or drier sometimes as everywhere else. But that's another thing. I think I don't live in a terrible place to ra- raise cattle, so uh, I'm excited about it. <laughs> Wally Olson says Clamore, Oklahoma is the best place to raise beef cattle in the world. Well, now we're talking. And Wally Olson has raised quite a few head. So we had kind of a dry fall. So do you have grass out in your pasture now? I do. I've had a, uh, I've had a horse here that I keep for the kids, um, but I've been kind of rotating him around and I'm actually planning on pulling him off the pastures here soon. Um, but uh half the acre she wasn't even on so there there's there's about four or five acres that's you know it's a, a, a lot of uh, standing grass out there um and uh, something i didn't mention which um i think i'm very fortunate in the fact that uh, the the land was well taken care of before i got here and we we moved to this home and this property last spring so we haven't even been here a, a year yet um, but they were raising, uh, sheep on it when we got here and, oh, yeah. and, uh, they, uh, they, they were well cared for the, the pastures. Um, you know, I kind of looked them over. I wanted to know what I had last year. Uh, so last summer I kind of watched it go through the cycles and, um, you know, it's a good mix of fescue, Bermuda, lots of clover, um, little blue stem, big blue stem. Um, so there's a good, and there's, you know, there's, there's some rough spots, but overall I was, I was very pleased with, uh, the start that I had. Well, very good. And I'm sure by, I know anytime we, we decide to, we want to do something, it's like, let's do it yesterday, (laughs) but you just being there and watching a growing season and seeing what you have gives you invaluable knowledge about your land right there. Yeah. And I've even, uh. As, as I start to think about it more, I'm, I'm going through my phone and, and looking at pictures. You know, what was the grass like last March? What was the grass like last May, last November? When was it rounding oh, yes. up? And um, so, yeah, I've, I've got a little bit of a catalog on, on at least how things went last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very good. So it was a sheep farm before you got it. And you're, you're using, you're grazing a little bit with a horse now. So you have a pretty good perimeter fence. Yeah. Blessed with a great perimeter fence. Um, the perimeter is, uh, 
pipe fence with uh, field wire um, and a hot wire on the perimeter. Um, oh, yeah. And then, you know, everything's sheet proof. So, and predator proof for yeah. the most part. So, um, and it's um, the way it's set up is uh, almost like a four square um, with a center corral, uh, center loafing shed. Um, and then, and then split up into, it's actually three pastures that it in it is in, but, um, cause you know, the house kind of takes up one of the quadrants, but, um, yeah, it, yeah. It, it does have some separate paddocks right now that, you know, I intend to split off some more with electric fencing. And while we're on the subject of your infrastructure right there, what's your water look like on your 10 acres right now? Water right now, there's a rural water tap out there. Um, so that's. Oh, okay. But it is, it's out there by the barn. So, um, you know, water is, that's kind of one of the things where I know water is important and I want them to have easy access to water, but I just don't know if it's going to be worth it for me to whether, you know, run some PEX pipe out there or whatever and, and have it in every section they're at, or just, you know, have it centralized. Um, and, and not move water with each move, um, with, you know, eight acres, I'm not sure how much gain I'm going to get uh, or waste I'm going to have. Um, now the good thing about this center corral, it's got, uh, five different gates on it. So five different entrances in it. So, um, I can move entrances to this central, uh, corral where the water would be, um, almost with every move or at least every four moves. Oh yes. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm still um, trying to figure out whether or not I want to try and uh, get the infrastructure to move the water with uh, the cattle. So I had to look this up. I should have it memorized, but I don't. So a square ten acres is six hundred and sixty feet on the side. So when we when we think about cattle and traveling to water, um. That's not very far for them to travel, and it shouldn't um, reduce intake. It shouldn't reduce their grazing in that area. So I don't think that's a problem for you to water in your shed okay. or there near your mm-hmm. shed and rotate them around. Okay. Now, if you were dealing with a a long or an oblong ten acres or more area that wasn't a square and they had to walk further, then you start getting worried if they're going to walk to the water. And cattle, cattle's very industrious. They they can walk quite a ways to water, but the further they walk, the less um, distribution of grazing you get. So you want to make sure that water's close. And I don't think you'll have a problem with the structure of your piece of land. There. And in the biggest section, there is a uh, there is a small pond as well. Um, oh yeah, and uh, I plan on you know, fencing it off to at least keep them out of it. Um, but I'd like to, you know, if they do want to drink out of it, um, that could be a secondary source as well. I, I think you're on the right path with their fence it off. Um, I don't know how big it is for sure. If y'all like to fish or something, but cattle are really tough on ponds. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll break down the edge on a pond just because it's muddy and they weigh so much. Uh, with your Aberdeen Angus, it won't be quite so bad because you're dealing with 500, 600 pound calves right now, but they will be growing. Mm-hmm. So um, I 
I like fencing off from pond. You'll see lots of ponds where they're not, but fence them off and keep them out of that water. Okay. Is my suggestion. That's what I was leaning towards as well. And with pressurized water at your barn, you can have a nice clean water source. Uh, clean, nice water is so important to grow okay. animals. Good. That uh, that kind of relieves a lot of, at least this first year, a lot of infrastructure work that I was thinking about trying to uh, finagle to get, you know, to, to move a, you know, smaller water source with them with each move. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards just trying to keep that water centralized and and doing well. Uh, you should be good with your water in your your shed area somewhere there. Um, granted, as you water all the time out there, you got to be conscious of mud because you don't want to get all muddy and stuff. So having a 100-foot gar- garden hose with some kind of watering trough that's movable would be very nice. Yeah. Then you could get it out and away from there really close. And when it's dry and stuff, you can move them in closer, but that way you can keep the mud at bay. Because gotcha. they'll, they'll spill a watering trough and they'll turn a dry <laughs> piece of land into a mud hole quick. Not, not as good as hogs, but they can do it. <laughs> <laughs> and for those watering troughs, you know, a farm store carries some of those. If you have access to a, a farmer that feeds protein tubs, those protein tubs yeah. make a good water for uh, just a few head like you have. Yeah, actually, last weekend I uh, uh, I went over to the neighbor's house and because uh, he told me he had some stuff he was getting ready to take to auction, and so I went over there and picked around and got about four old protein tubs, a couple um, plastic barrels, and um, some T posts, and just anything I thought I could possibly. Oh use yeah, very good. Try and cut some. Yeah, that worked out well. Yeah. So when you bring your calves in, you mentioned you've got a um, you've got a few p- gates on your pen there at the shed. So are you going to be able to lock them up at your shed for a day or two? Yeah, that's the plan. When I first get them, I'll I'll put them in that pen. Um, you know, try and give them some hay. Um, make sure there's water there and. Um, and also one of the questions I had about that, I plan to keep them in there a couple days. Should I try and, uh, introduce the electric fence at that point or, you know, put up a, a shorter section out into the main pasture once they're released to become accustomed to it or try and do that within the pen? I think you're right about whenever you get them, you want them pinned up. Um, even calm cattle, the jostling of hauling them. A new place can make them act kind of nervous. So it's always good to have them pinned up. About how big is your pin? Um, I would say it's probably 40 by 30. 40 by 30 with uh, four calves. To me, I wouldn't have a problem putting an electric fence down one side of it. Uh, I like having it, doing it in a solid pin like that so that um, they can't, go through it and then you're wondering where they are if they do go through it you're going to be able to get them back in Um, i would set it their water or feed kind of close to it so you're you're causing them to enter to touch it some but really in a pin that size it's not going to make much different because they'll or difference because they'll find that wire yeah 
So, so just along one side of it then? Yeah, I would just do one side. Okay. If, if I thought after a couple of days, I thought those calves aren't touching it and not that, you know, after they've touched it a couple of times, they're like, I'm not going to touch it again. But if they're not going over that side of the pen at all, like you're like, I'm not sure they ever touched it. Then you might change the layout just a little bit and make it okay. jut out or take a corner off or something. But I really okay. don't think with the size of that pen, uh, you'll have any trouble with them finding it because they'll get unloaded and they'll go around that pen uh, and they'll explore everywhere in there. So probably within the first five minutes of you unloading them, they'll hit it. Now, whether okay. or not you want it going that night or you want to wait and set it up the next day or two, I think either way works. But I like okay. having them trained to the wire before you put them out in pasture. For sure. And it won't take too long to get them trained. So you put them in there. So the way I usually do stuff, I've got a plan and then I don't have it quite set up when the cattle arrive. So right. um, you get them, unload them in the pen. Uh, next day, go out, set that up. They'll give you some time around them too. So they'll start to, to get to know you too. Um, set it up, turn it on, and then leave them in there three or four days after that before I would turn them out. And there'll be different okay. people recommend different amount of times. I've had really good luck with rushing that getting a couple good bites and then go ahead and turn them out. But it's better if you give them a few days worth, even up to a week, just so they really okay. know that they're like, Oh, I don't want to touch that. And do you gotcha. have, um, a reel with like poly braid or are you going I, to use? I do. You do. Yeah. Cause that, um, they'll learn that white is, is hot and they don't want to touch it. Okay. Yeah. That's what I've got right now. Some, some poly braid on yeah. a reel loaded already. Now, do you have a energizer set up? I, uh, I picked one up from the neighbor. It's oh, an okay. old one. Um, the only thing it didn't have was a battery. So it's a 12 volt battery system with a solar charger on it. Um, we hooked it up to a battery there and it was lighting up and, working. So I need to test it and see if it's working. Um, I've got a new battery for it, but if not, I'll, I'll be getting another one. But that is one of the questions I had was with this size of an operation, am I, you know, am I going to be moving this charger uh, multiple times or am I, is my goal to try and have a, a location where that charger is staying and running fence off the same charger in the same place all the time? With it being a solar charger, you have that option of moving it around as you want, but no more area than you have. I would mm -hmm. find a nice sunny location for it and um, place it there kind of permanently. It wouldn't okay. be, it wouldn't have to be, it could be semi-permanent, but you want to make sure you get ground rods in the ground for it. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I'm, I'm going to be putting three ground rods in. And if I, if I'm moving this thing, um, you know, how right. many times do I want to do that? Or how many ground rods do I want to have in different locations? 
Yeah, and if you're putting in a six-foot ground rod, those things you don't want to, those things you put and forget. Um, right. Now, you can get some little three-foot ones that kind of a T-handle that work out, that you can move, and they work out good. But I think if you can find a good location with good sun, you need to go about 10 foot from the charger or so before the ground rods and then space the ground rods every 10 foot or so. And okay. a little bit further is better than getting them any closer than that. And you want those okay. ground rods in a little bit of a wet area if possible. So for your shed, you're going to have a drip line on it where the rain mm -hmm. comes off of it. That's a good area to put them in because okay. that'll stay a little bit wetter than everything else. Um, of course, I say that. If it's right on top of a hill and it's got good drainage, it may not be the best place. So, so use some judgment there. Um, a wetter gotcha. place will be better. So you have your, your calves. You get them in for a few days. You get them used to that electric fence before you turn them out. And okay. then what's, what kind of plan do you have in place when you turn them out? So, uh, like I said, I've got that little bit of stockpiled forage, um, and what I plan to do is probably just split that in half, um, and, and possibly, you know, turn them out on half of it, you know, cause we're, you know, we'll be the end of February, let's say the beginning of March, you know, so they're really going to be March and April before much is greening up. So, you know, I, I've got a couple months, um, that they need to be, um, trying to utilize that forage. So maybe split it and, and see how that goes. I think, um, when you split it. Um, we're like you said we're into February it's going to be the first of March about the time you get them it's really close mm -hmm. um, you can probably dig through your grass and see some green at the bottom uh, fescue yes. starting to green up I uh, get a few other things out there uh, the clover was greening up till we got this um, last code snap so once we get past this and it warms up a little bit, clover will come back really quick. So you'll see some of that out there. Okay. What I would shoot for, and this is me, and there's lots of um, people that they, they talk about how often you move your calves. And I think for you trying to get them finished in November, you want to be moving them as often as you can to maintain the highest uh, quality diet to them so they have the most growth but initially you don't have to worry about that initially okay. i say make you a, a little paddock for them give them a few days in there a week in there not a problem then give them a little bit more change it around so you okay. might give them a, a strip of that stockpile for a week for them to work on and and you can start judging how much they're eating then now, okay. if you're really ambitious at that time, you could start chopping off daily blocks for them or daily moves so you can get that idea of how much they're eating in a day. But okay. I don't think that's super important on that stockpiled fescue. And okay. it's not super important because you're not going to, or you should be in pretty good shape for the spring. Now, if we were talking about, oh, I've got stockpiled forages and I'm trying to last till as long as I can, we'd ration it out a little bit more and be a little okay. bit more cautious about that. But you're in a pretty good position going in and getting your calves 
and you have some forage out there. And things will start greening up um, pretty yeah. soon. There won't be a lot of forage out there yet. Uh, you mentioned your, your horse graze part of it. Is that area very short? You know, it's, he's pretty darn selective. So <laughs> horses, uh, horses are, <laughs> I was impressed when you said I've been moving my horse some because I drive by pastures with horses. I'm like, just rotate them, just rotate them a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a 17 year old horse, um, but and that's kind of one of the questions I have. There's, you know, there's a lot of tall stuff out there. There's a lot of little blue stem that's three or four feet tall. Um, you know, a lot of tall fescue out there. And do I need to knock that down? Uh, do I need to mow it down before I turn them in there? Or, you know, wait till I get through the winter forage stage and then maybe knock it down? For me, what I would suggest doing is leaving it as is right now. Uh, the, the areas the horse has grazed hard. You don't want to move them into till you've got four or six inches of grass. Don't. Okay. And even if it's a little bit more, that would be okay because you don't want to rush it. I know springtime of the year, I get anxious and I start hmm. moving cows and I ought to wait two more weeks. If you, if you wait those two weeks and let that grass get ahead of you just a little bit. Now it's a, it's a balancing game because grass can get ahead of you in the spring really quick, but you yeah. want it to get enough of a head start because it starts growing uh, kind of slow and you're moving cows fast for it like us. And so we're in good shape. And then all of a sudden overnight, you get start worrying about fescue going to head. But um, as you get started, you've got that stockpile. Give them a few days on that stockpile up to a week. Move them around. If grass starts coming on good and you get nice growth on that area that's been uh, grazed hard with the horse. or the, And when I say that, you know, his patch that he loves best. Uh, let right. that grow and get ahead so you don't hurt it because whenever you, because it's already having to use all of its roots to push that grass up. And if you go in there too early, it's going to have to use more root power to get it up. So give it some recovery time. So I'd like to get that four, six inches tall, maybe even more. And then whenever okay. you hit it, don't, uh, you're not going to spend a lot of time on it. Okay. And a question I had about that um, with these moves starting out, um, and this really goes for moves all year long, but um, with a size like this, would you suggest a back fence every time on these moves? On the, on the initial moves with your stockpile forages, I wouldn't worry about a back fence. Okay. Um, as you start with your, when it starts changing over from stockpile to green grass, I would do a back fence. Okay. Because what happens if you don't do a back fence, they start, they graze all the good stuff and then they go back and they start cherry picking all that other. And as soon as it pops up and they're there to grab a bite of it and you don't okay. want that to happen. You want that grass to, to go through the distress of getting grazed in a short period of time. And then it can use all of its roots or all of its reserves 
to grow again without having that come come back and happen again. Makes sense. Now, when I say that, that's the ideal situation. <laughs> Your calves get out and they go back and graze over it. It's not the best thing, but it'll live. If you get out there and you're like, you know, today was crazy at work. I've got to give them grass, but man, I want, I'm just going to throw up a fence real quick. Throw up a fence, let them back graze the next day or two, and then put a back fence on them. Um, okay. You know, in the ideal world, everything's going to go according to plan. But just for instance, we had this scheduled for last week in my W-2 job decided I didn't need to get off work when I needed to because we had a major problem. So you just got to be flexible with it. And then that's what I keep hearing. Yeah. And ask, you know, it's great asking questions and getting advice from others. Just know if you ask 10 people how to do it, you're going to get about a dozen answers. So shoot in there amongst them. As Jerry Clower says, one of us needs some relief. (laughs) Right. Now with this rotation, so let's say, you know, I've done, I would say the past couple weeks, I've been, um, you know, reading most on recovery periods and, and time rotations and looking at formulas. And I get it's, it's different place to place. It's different from animal to animal and season to season. Um, but you know, I'm I'm trying to at least have some type of plan heading into it as to you know what kind of size am I shooting for on these initial um, areas um, that way because with a small acreage and you know you hear anywhere from thirty days resting period to ninety days you know what am I shooting for there as trying to you know as far as getting back to that first first paddock I think once. So when we think about having grass uh, six inches tall in the paddock or four to six inches, and we're hitting it the first time of the year, we're going to graze that quickly because we don't want to graze it all the way down. We, we don't like to graze below four inches. So, but um, Alan Nation, Greg Judy, they talk about uh, take half, leave half. I think I have that right. If I'm not, mm-hmm. just feel free to leave in the comments who I should have gave that credit to. Um, you're going to hit that. You're going to move off of it. In the springtime of year, it's growing fast. So, well, let's clarify that. So we're going to go into March. You're going to start. It's going to start growing. Uh, April gets here. You're going to be in pretty good shape. As we go into May, grass will be growing super fast, and you can probably hit that again and. 18 to 21 days. Okay. Um, the way you can tell. So think of about a fescue leaf. You know, it goes up and it goes to a point. And a cow comes through there or a calf and it bites it off. And then you've got that square end. It's ready to be regrazed when that point is regrown. So okay. you can look at your grass and see oh, am I ready to hit this again or do I need to give it more time? Okay. And I was, uh, I don't know what podcast it was, but um, let's say, you know, it's, especially I don't have much wiggle room in a, you know, with a small system. 
So, you know, let's say we're in July and we haven't had rain in a month and it's been 20, 30 days and I'm not seeing, you know, that growth that I want to see to move them on. Um, the, the concept that I'm hearing is don't move faster, even though, you know, you want to, um, you, you still need to wait until it, that, you know, you're ready to move back to those originals, give them time to, to rest and grow back. And you can maybe, you know, have your perfect dream next year and put more nutrients in the soil, but you might have to kind of bite the bullet this year. Something that's so hard for farmers, or at least from my vantage point, we start getting dry and we start running out of pasture. And the thing to do right then, well, first thing, if we're dry, destock, start selling some animals. Got to have a drought plan. Um, but then the next thing is, if your next paddock's not ready to graze, and granted, I know most of my neighbors don't do rotational grazing. If you're not having grass out there, feed some hay. Do something to give you more time for that grass to recover. And I know I've heard it all my life. I've seen it. No one wants to do it. They just they just try and, and get by, and then you're into winter, and you're feeding a lot more because you have no nothing. If you'd taken a little bit of time to feed a little bit of hay when no one else was feeding hay, who cares if your neighbor's doing it? Manage your mm. grass, not theirs. And um, feeding a little bit of hay will give you some time. Let that grass grow back, and you're going to have more grass than your neighbor's. Anyway, we hope you don't have to worry about any of that. But what Greg <laughs> Judy says on those spring grazing, so when the grass takes off and he hits everything, he goes around the whole farm, quick grazing. Once he's gone through that, he slows down his grazing a little bit, and he leaves part of those paddocks for summer grazing. And I'll be honest, I've never done that, but I'm going to try it this year. Um, cause I heard that and I was like, oh, that makes sense because grass is getting ahead of you. Now those paddocks that you leave, the grass going to mature. So it's not going to be as high a quality because you're part of the reason we're rotationally grazing. You're wanting to keep that grass in a vegetative state because that's the most nutritious state. And if it starts heading out, all the energy and protein... It's going to that seed head, seed head, making it, and it starts dropping in quality. So we want to keep that seed head from going or from setting. But at the same time, we got to plan for summer. And we know, especially in Oklahoma for us, you're going to have great growth at the end of April going into May. Early June is going to be good growth. But by the end of June, we might not be having any growth. So your rotations may slow way down at that point. Uh, so going with what Greg Judy says, rotate through them once. When you start back through, pick half the farm to set aside for summer grazing. And then um, continue through the paddocks you're going then. And you say, well, we just went up through everything. Um how are we going to reduce the acreage by half and still have grass? Well, the grass is speeding up on its growth. So you're going to have more grass in those paddocks. So mm. you take and you're grazing those paddocks 
then and going through them and you have the other um, growing ahead of you for summer drought or summer dearth. Now, one thing that concerns me about that for you is it's very important you keep those calves growing. Right. With your target end date. So one thing I I would consider in your situation is some warm season annuals that provide some good growth in the heat of summer. And um, something that you could broadcast in spring um, on that first rotation, uh, you may broadcast some out there just to just to raise that nutritional level some for the summer months. Like and, Lespedeza or, or, or what are you talking? To be honest, I, I have never done that. So I'm out in the weeds right now. So <laughs> listeners, if you've got an idea, hey, let us know. In fact, if you go to community.grazinggrass.com, you can leave your comments there. And Callahan can see them. And it gives you a chance to tell you. Tell me what I should be doing better as well. So uh, one thing that jumps to my mind right off, maybe like cow peas or okay. um, I'm trying to think uh, um, what else, you know, you could do some Sundan or not Sundan, Sudan, um, hay grazer, but that stuff requires a little bit more management. So I'd stay away from that right now. Uh, cow peas are the thing. That, Would it need to be some type of frost seeding? Yes, but by the time we get into seeding that, we're not going to be having a lot of frost here. By the time you get ready to plant it, I think, um, in fact, what I'm going to do, Callahan, I'm going to get out my uh, Managing Pastures book by Dale Strickland. Strickler. I've talked about it before. It's a really good a reference, and I'm going to look at that and see what that goes, and I'll get back to you on that one, okay? Okay. I just think that summer will be tough to keep that growth because you start losing quality now, of your grass. With that being said, that kind of leads me towards uh, supplementation. You know, that kind of, that's supplementing. Well, and that's that's the other thing. In Oklahoma, OSU pushes out the, I think they call it the Oklahoma Gold. So if you're grazing native grasses in August, July and August, it's hot and dry. The nutritional quality of those grasses have dropped. And they recommend feeding like a half pound, three quarter of a pound of high protein supplement, such as they always say like soybean meal. Okay. And maybe a little bit more mixed in there, but mainly soybean meal to give them that protein. Because that grass doesn't have the protein. It's got some energy in it, but not protein. Gotcha. And then that, it, in my understanding, that protein also heats them up just a little bit and causes them to get out there and graze better. But that's not really, um, that's a possibility. Um, but I don't think you should be going that direction right now. Okay. I think, uh, see what your grasses do. And you're grazing through them. Um, I would um, try some kind of warm season annual broadcasting it. And seeing what that does, if that helps. Okay. 
that may be completely the wrong path, but that's what I'm thinking I would try. And then, you know, depending on when the rains start again, because in Oklahoma, or much of this area, if we get a rain after June 15th, we're doing yeah. good. Um, it'll get really sporadic at that point and stay pretty sporadic till September. Now, we'll get some, but we won't get a lot. So the growth is going to slow way down then. But in September, uh, fescue, those cool seasons, start taking off again. So then that puts you in really good shape to get more growth on them in the fall and um, get ready and see if we can get them in condition to finish them. Okay. Um, you know, to, to, to get through summer or you know, maybe if there is a period of low quality forage, um, I've, I've read some stuff on apple cider vinegar and I know you mentioned you didn't know much about it or have tried it, but um, you know, the whole point of it supposedly is to um, you know, help them utilize, you know, not ideal forages a little bit better, turning it into energy um, and, you know, and, and there's some other benefits as well, but you know, with my main goal, I, I would love to finish them by fall, but I'm not stuck to it. But if I could make that system work for me, um, that, right. that'd be something I'd like to be able to reproduce. And I'm even, thinking, Oh yeah. Um, you know, I might need some fall born calves to do that. Um, but, oh, um, yeah. and, and maybe I can try and communicate that, you know, if I do like the animals I get and I say next time I want some, they are, you know, three or four months older. Um, but I, I, I've just done some tooling around with, you know, how can I, not speed this process up, but just optimize it as much as possible with, with, with what I've got. And the good thing is, is, you know, I don't have a high volume. Um, so that, you know, the cost is not going to be crazy for some type of supplementation, but, uh, True. I, I do want it to be reproducible. Um, so I don't know if you had any tips on that as well as, um, with it being small, it's tough for me to get a hold of stuff that's, you know, not on a pallet that's not, you know, sold in a semi truck, um, you know, cause I don't need, you know, thousands of pounds of whatever it is I'm, I'm getting. And it, it's tough to find stuff at the feed store that doesn't contain some type of grain bribe byproduct or urea and stuff like that. So there's stuff I'm trying to, I'm, I'm running into issues finding the quality of stuff I'm trying to get. I, I would agree let's jump back we'll come back right there you mentioned apple cider vinegar i have not used that um on our beef cattle we have used it on chickens and stuff and i really like it and the reason i don't use it on my beef cattle is just a, a issue of the volume i'd have to do mm -hmm. um and then i water out a lot of natural water sources so so that doesn't lend itself good for me, yeah. but for you using pressurized water in a watering trough, I think apple cider vinegar is great for your situation. Okay. And on sourcing, that's a, a great question that I don't have an answer for on sourcing some of the stuff. Now, apple cider vinegar, um, I should have, I have a card of a salesman that sells that and you can get it in five gallon deals. Okay. Or up to 55-gallon barrels. Okay. Um, I just got to find the card for that. Yeah. Um, for your feeds, 
And here in Northeast Oklahoma, that's going to be like the toughest part of it. Um, where I haven't gone down that path as far as you're going to go this one year, um, a great resource, we need to find someone who is doing grass-fed beef right now and or grass-finished beef um, and figure out if they're using anything, uh, any supplement or and then what are they using so that we can find stuff without urea and all the other additives that get put in it. Fantastic. That'd be great. And, and I've got con, I don't know that I have much contacts. We'll see if they answer my phone call, but I know a few people. So we'll, we'll, um, look for that and see if we can get you in touch with someone. Yeah. And I found some, uh, you know, minerals and, uh, stuff that contains sea kelp and things like that. But once again, it's just, you know, for me, the shipping's more than the product uh, and I can't find it around here. So I know I've seen, um, you know, there's, if farmers get together and, you know, they, they start splitting loads, then, um, then it's doable. Um, Cause shipping a lot of times right. is, is it's included if you get enough of it. Uh, but it's through the roof if you're getting a small amount of it. So that's the problem I'm running into. Oh, yes, I completely agree. So we will, I'll do some checking on that as well and get back to you on it. Um, if you're a farmer in Northeast Oklahoma and you're interested in some of this, contact me, cal at grazinggrass.com, and we'll see if we can put together something, get an order in here. Because we know um, either they're getting stuff somewhere else that we're not aware of, and we just have to locate it or we need to band together and get the product here. Yeah. Um, you know, I've checked for dealers and um, called around and, you know, even some farmers sell it and or some portion of the product, but it's not stuff that's for grass fed cattle. It's the other line of that right. supplement or whatever it might be. So I am uh, kind of running down into a dead end there. And uh, there's a few grass fed producers around here, but most are not. Yeah. You, you go up into Missouri and you start seeing a little bit more polybraid out in pastures, but you don't see much here. Yeah. Once you start this, you start looking around a little more and, uh, I see a lot of pastures that, you know, are in hay or in cows and that's about it, but not a lot of polybraid, not a lot of <laughs> rotations. And, um, you know, let's say if I am getting to that November and I'm thinking these, these animals aren't ready um, to, you know, to butcher. Um, hopefully I can figure that out before November. Um, but you know, let's say it is September and I'm seeing that what's, you know, what kind of steps do I need to be taking to, um, try and survive the winter or, um, you know, I, I, I'm not opposed to using hay if I need to, but I'd like to use as little as possible. Um, first, before we talk about that, do you have your Butcher dates are a scheduled. Um, yes, I've, I've, I've okay. got it reserved. Well, very good because, you know, through the pandemic, it's lengthened those schedule dates out. So that's what I heard. So man. That's why I called and I felt a little silly calling before I even had the animals. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I heard there were some, you know, year long dates, but it didn't seem to be too much of a problem. So um, it it has calmed down since. Uh, early part of uh, 2020, uh, dates were going crazy. It has calmed down, and we have more processors 
opened up, at least for us in this general area. Yep. Uh, we got a new uh, processing or butcher shop in Chelsea. There's one in Adair. Seems like Pryor was getting a new one as yes. well. So those are all local. Um, that's going to ease that burden some as well. So when we start thinking about winter grazing and what's going on there, um, you start, so we get through summer and we start fall growth. Well, in my mind, when we start grazing that fall growth, we want to set aside as much as we can for stockpiling. So just kind of like what you do with in the spring with grass for summer, we want to do for grass for winter. Um, so I found the last few years I've started about August and not grazed some areas, but the last two falls we've had has been really dry. Mm -hmm. So it did not produce as much stockpile forage as I hoped. 120 acres lease. And when I first approached him, he didn't know me from Adam and he's like, I'm not leasing it, not leasing it at all. But then through some conversations, he saw what I was doing with other land. And he said, you know, if you want to lease my land and graze it, you could. So by showing how you're managing the land and being a steward of the land will go a long ways. But the, the end result is how can you help? This, this is area that I can't give really good advice because I haven't done this. Um, but you'll start getting that fat on them mm -hmm. and up around the tail head. And so you want, you want them to start getting too fat. And I just don't think that's real likely in August, but with grass takes off, you may be able to tell by October, but that's too late for planting any cool season. Okay. So again, that's, you know, we've got some fantastic listeners out there. Uh, come over to the community.grazinggrass.com and give us your thoughts on it and your ideas so we can uh, all learn from each other. So Callahan, hopefully we'll get some advice there um, because I really don't have an answer for you right then. Um, that's something in August. We can look at your calves and see how we're going. Okay. And, you know, probably the best, make a decision then. The best uh, information I have on this is um, from the gentleman that I'm getting the, the cattle from. Um, and he doesn't personally finish them on grass, but he said if he were finishing them on grass, he'd be looking at more like 26 to 30 months for slaughter dates. Um, it's not necessarily what I want to hear, but that's always in the back of my mind. And, and to be honest... I have to to agree with what he's saying. When I hear about grass finished, uh, it's after their second winter. So you're getting yearlings, so they're just finishing their first winter. Mm -hmm. So it looks like um, it may be easier to get them finished next spring. But um, I hate to say it's not possible. Yeah, uh, I'm not... Not that, again, it's not my area that I've uh, done much with. Now, I plan to get there. And in fact, I have calves getting born this uh, spring that are genetics that I plan to grass finish some of those. But you're, you're two years ahead of me on that. 
<laughs> maybe maybe that's not a good idea though. <laughs> and so I can't help you on that, but uh, like I said, this is great discussion for us to have in the grazing grass community. Yeah, um, because there's lots of people out there doing it. Um, yeah, and I've you know I've looked up um, you know butcher dates and ages for you know this breed of cattle and others, and it's all over the board. Um, some people say younger is better. Some people say the older is better. You know, so it's, oh. um, but yeah, I mean, the, you know, like I initially said, the main thing for me, um, is the end product. Um, because I've had patients and friends that, you know, I've suggested to that grass fed beef, um, you know, for the fat ratios is ideal. Uh, and they try it and they, they just don't like it. I've had some that is, it's just not a good product. And, um, that's the last thing I want. And I think for this, it, you know, if you want to call it a move it, a, a movement, I think a big thing for this, you can't, you can't be serving a piece of meat. That's, that's not good. Um, people like their steak, they like their beef. And I think if it's done right, um, it is possible to, you know, have a high quality, um, high marbled piece of meat that's enjoyable to eat. But I think we're going backwards sometimes if if we're not focusing on that end product and then people try it once and they say, oh, I'm never doing that again. That that wasn't any good. And you, you have an excellent point there because I've heard from people, they're like, it's not tender enough. They did not, it wasn't a pleasant eating experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really what you're looking for in those calves, how much fat they've got in there, how much marbling is going to put in. Uh, through the muscling so you get that nice tender cut yeah and you know i've you know i've heard that you know there's less visible fat in a grass-fed cattle um but on a cellular level there's actually just as much or more within that steak you just can't visibly see it um so you know uh, on a smaller level it's there but um yeah i think you know because i've had it done right and it is it's good it's flavorful and i eat all types of game meat and um, I think, you know, getting back towards that taste is so, and it does take some maybe teaching of your, uh, whether that's clients or the, you know, down the road, whoever's eating this and how they're cooking it and, and educating on it might taste different, but, um, I like steak. I like corn fed steak. I'm not going to lie and say that I don't, I mean, it, it, it's delicious, but I think, um, th- that they need to be a little closer together than they are, you know, cause sometimes they're polar opposites. If you look at the two steaks and taste the two steaks um, and, and I don't think it needs to be that way. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it'll be interesting. And I think you've probably seen some of Greg Judy's videos and I, I mean, I hate to promote him so much. I mentioned him way too many times in this episode, um, except he, he has done a lot of good things, and I've read his books, and, and I'm a fan. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's not one way to do this. There's lots of different ways. But I bring him up because I think he's got some video that he talks about that fat on the tail head and telling when they're ready for um, process. They're kind of the donuts around the, the tail head, the rings of fat. Yes. Now... I'll be honest, we don't, now, we do not, we have always grain-fed, or grain-fed, finished any calves for our own use, and there's 
there's been times we've grass finished just out of necessity. We might have a two-year-old heifer that lost a calf. She's in really good condition. And now we've got to figure out her market and she goes into our deep freeze. So um, I'm saying that there's lots of avenues to get to the same place. Mm -hmm. We all don't have to do it exactly right. Um, And those calves in November, they might have enough fat on Mm -hmm. them. They might do it and they might not. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I'm okay Um, either way because I'm not going to sacrifice the end product just for maybe a little bit of uh, savings or uh, whatever it is, because I think how you start, um, it's not everything, but it is something, um, especially if you're sharing this product with friends and family and potential future customers. Um, yeah, I I, I want to start on the wrong foot, you know, and to be honest, I find that the most stressful when, uh, we're selling beef, you know, I, I want that end user or that consumer to have a, a pleasant eating experience that they want to come back to. And, um, that stresses me out more than anything, just because you want to make sure they're happy and with the end product. And so you get close to that time. The great thing about having those dates at the processor, um, you can, there'll probably be other people interested in them. And if you know, you know, it's September and you're like, these kids aren't going to make it. You can call the processor and probably not have a problem at all with canceling those appointments because they're going to be able to fill them up. Okay. Yeah. And if I am putting that date back, when is a, you know, is, is there an ideal time in the spring that's better or worse based on the condition of the grass for finishing them then? I would say, and as I preface this a few times, I haven't done this, but in my mind, you get them through winter and then you have grass coming on and you have that nice growth of grass in um, late April and May. And you're looking at the end of May with some fat calves that's ready to go. Okay. And that would be about 30 months of age, I think. 28 to 30 months, yeah. That's what I think initially. And and okay. to be honest, Callahan, I'm really hesitant to say for sure because I haven't done that. Um, but um, we can get more discussion going on that and get you more answers. We won't leave you out there. Make Good. this decision by yourself. We'll help you out through it. <laughs> Callahan, we've talked a little while about this. Is there any more questions you had right off before we send you through the famous four questions? You know, I think we've hit, um, the, I mean, maybe the only thing, um, we, we talked about location of water. Um, what about location of mineral and salt is, you know, is that okay near the water or do I need to space that on the other end of the paddock or what? I don't think with the size of your paddocks and the number ahead, it's a big deal. I think the main thing is, um, for your minerals, you want them in something movable because they're going to kill that grass right around it. So you're want you're going to want to move those minerals each day, probably not leave them in a centralized location. Okay. 
because uh, you're going to have to move that water a little bit just to keep it from getting muddy or something. Um, with the mineral, they're going to wear a donut around a round mineral feeder if you have a rectangle one, you know. Um, so you want to move that around so they do the least damage to your grass as possible. Gotcha. So for me, because you have a, a shad that you're, you're kind of rotating around, mm -hmm. I would actually put that further out in the pasture. Okay, away from that centralized location. Right, because you're going to have a lot of traffic up there in that centralized area, and just adding something else there is just going to compound it. Okay. Yeah, I think that's, as far as right now, I'm sure there'll be more questions that come up along the way, but uh, uh, that's, that's about all I got. Oh, you know, the most important thing here yeah. is you're getting started. Because you're going to learn so much going through this. And the grazing grass community is wonderful about helping and supporting. It's one thing I really like about it. And um, we'll go through it and we'll all learn together on this. And the great thing is there's people out there doing it. We just have to identify sure. them and talk to them. Callahan, I really appreciate you coming on and being okay with mediocre answers from me. But we'll get the conversation going. We get some good answers. But really enjoyed having this conversation and excited to yeah, see well, how it goes for me. you. In fact, um, I think we'll, we'll need to get you on here about a year next year about this time and see how it all went and the next steps for you. Yeah, well, hopefully it's... Uh... Good reports. Right. Before we go, we've got our famous four questions. And just because you haven't had any cows out there grazing very much does not mean you get by without answering these questions. So they're the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. I stole it blatantly off the Bigger Pockets podcast. Just don't tell them. Uh, our first question, what's your favorite grazing grass related book or resource? Um, like I said, I, I picked up that raising grass fed cattle book. I can't even pronounce the author's name. Um, but when I first started looking at it, uh, it was, it, it was too much, you know, it was, uh, it, it oh, was yeah. everything we've talked about. It was water, it was small scale, it was large scale. Um, and I couldn't even read through it, but then the farther I got along and researching, I, it, it's a very good reference to kind of go back and kind of pick through whatever you know question might be at your mind not necessarily maybe a read cover to cover type book um, but it's just loaded with information but then you know i would honestly say podcasts this podcast and others um working cows podcast there's a, there's a lot of good information out there and hearing from other farmers and and just hearing what they're doing that that's where i've probably you know got the most from you know, obviously, I'm a big fan of podcasts, but there are so many good podcasts out there, um, and they all just are tailored just a little bit different. Um, I wish I had more hours in the car to listen to them all. Yes. Uh, I don't know if I want more hours in the car, but I do need to listen to them all because I, I learn something all the time. Now, it's early days, but what tool could you not live without on your farm? What, what do you think is going to be so 
indispensable to you? Hey, you know, it's got it's got to be that that real and poly wire on this. I'm gonna be using that every day. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, you're you're kind of flying blind on it because you hadn't hadn't got to experience it. But yeah, um, a reel with some poly braid, you can do so much with. Yeah. Let's see here. The third question, you know, what what do you know now that you wish you knew when you got started? That's a question we will revisit next year. <laughs> and we'll we'll ask you and say, Callahan, what do you wish we had talked about last year that you now know? Perfect. So that that'll be a great one for next time. And where can other people find out more about you? You know, admittedly, uh I don't do the social media thing really. Um I, uh, you know, that's kind of part of my whole philosophy. I'm a bit of a old soul, I guess you'd say. So, um, and everything I'm trying to do, I'm trying to get back to, you know, what I feel is a better way of doing things. And I see the, you know, the benefit and us communicating right now and the benefit that, you know, social media and all these platforms have, but I just, I'm, we don't have a, uh, you know, a page or anything yet. Now, what's cool though, um, you know, we just started an LLC for this and that's kind of another topic, but, uh, you know, we are starting that process and I know it's going to get there at some point. Um, uh, but I just got a feeling it won't even be me that that's running any of that. Uh, where can you reach me? Uh, type <laughs> of thing. Yeah. Uh, that'll be my wife, which is a, you know, going to be a crucial part of this the whole way. Um, but, uh, yeah, the only thing I'm at Maynard family chiropractic, um, all week long and you can look us up. We're in South Tulsa. Um, we're just dealing with health every single day. Very good. And I want to plug, um, we, well, by the time this is published, it'll be, uh, pushed out on the podcast, but we are setting up the grazing grass community at community.grazinggrass.com to be a forum for grazing discussions. Um, I know there's lots of groups on Facebook. Um, there's also strong feelings about Facebook and social media. I also don't like that they have complete control of your group. And if you violate their terms of services, how they have um, interpreted them, you lose your group. So I know there's lots of good discussions out there, but that grazing grass community is a spot that's not associated with anyone but this podcast and myself. That's so we can have a free discussion, a civil discussion about what to do on grazing, ask our questions. So I encourage everyone to go over there, look around, introduce yourself. And also, I know, I put a support this podcast button on it too. If you choose not to do it, no problem. If you want to, go for it. But the big thing is go over there. Let's talk about grazing grass. Callahan, we appreciate you coming on here tonight. We, um, Look forward to your journey. Yeah. Uh, everybody say a prayer for me. Just <laughs> like everybody else, I'll need as much help as possible. I've enjoyed today's conversation with Callahan, but I wasn't able to answer all his questions. And we would appreciate if you would visit the Grazing Grass community at community.grazinggrass.com or go to grazinggrass.com and click on the community link and join the discussion in the, the Grazing Grass forums there. 
I mentioned earlier about the podcast having a giveaway again this week. It'll only take you a couple minutes to do. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume your podcast, and leave us a review. Then take a screenshot of that review and email it to me at cal at grazinggrass.com. And we will draw a winner next week. And they will receive a copy of Greg Judy's latest book, How to Think Like a Grazer. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. And every episode features a grass farmer and their operation. You can find the Grazing Grass Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we encourage you to share our post. Are you a grass farmer? Would you like to share about your operation, your journey? Go to the grazinggrass.com website and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. Until next time, keep on grazing grass. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. And until next time, keep on grazing grass.